in the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 17. We're only going to do 10 verses today, uh, but these are very good story here of an encounter Jesus had with a certain uh, rich ruler. A lot of Bibles put in there that he was a young uh, rich ruler, but uh, regardless, we do know that he was a ruler of people and that he was uh, very wealthy. He was very rich and had a lot of earthly possessions. And so today's, uh, the title of today's lesson is going to be Take Up the Cross and Follow Jesus. We just sang the song a while ago about Jesus took up the cross and went to Calvary for you and I. And he asked us to take up that cross and follow him. That's all that he really asked us to do is just to follow him and let him lead us the way we should go. So let's pray over this word this morning and ask the Lord to help us as we go into it <clears throat> that we may understand fully what he has for us today. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for your presence with us. We thank you, Lord, for the salvation which you've given us in Jesus. Truly is an amazing grace. And Lord, we don't even know how to describe it sometimes, but we just say thank you, Lord, for this grace you've given us through the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son. Father, I pray as we go through this message today that, Lord, our eyes will be open, our ears will hear what you are saying to us, and that our hearts and minds will understand fully what this lesson teaches us today. For it is a very important lesson for us in our society today and for us to remember as Christians, Lord, what it is that you're teaching us here in this lesson today. We ask all these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. So take up the cross and follow Jesus. And like I said, Jesus has an encounter with a fellow here who is a rich ruler, has a lot of earthly possessions. And uh, Jesus is in the land of Judea, and a few things have been happening. And previous to this, uh, Jesus had just uh, uh, blessed the little children. They, and Jesus was telling them, don't forbid the little children to come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And now we begin in verse 17 of chapter 10. It says, now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? I want you to think about that. A couple of things that I'd like to point out to you this morning is that he came running. This guy was serious. He was really serious about coming to talk to Jesus. I'm sure he had heard about Jesus. And when he got in an area or a certain uh, geographical area where he knew he was close, evidently he's going to seek out this Jesus and he had a question to ask him. So it says that he come running and then it also that he knelt down before Jesus. And asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now this rich ruler, he had all the religious boxes checked. He came in haste to seek counsel from Jesus. And he was humble and respectful of Jesus. So looking at it from the outside in, pretty good fella. He wants to find out something from Jesus. What may I do that I receive eternal life? And the second thing I would like to point out to you in that, that verse that we read was when he called him good teacher. What does he mean by saying that? Why does he come and say good teacher? Well, of course it's true. We know Jesus to be the good teacher, the good shepherd. Many of them called him the rabbi. But he comes and he says, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? This rich man was using, and, what, and we find this out in a minute when we see Jesus' response. 
This uh, rich man was using a form of flattery to try to get his way with Jesus. Okay, He had a legitimate question, but his motives were just a little bit off base. And so he comes and he starts to flatter Jesus. So this is a form of flattery to show how serious he was about acquiring eternal life. On the surface, it seems harmless and was probably how the man really felt about Jesus. But his motives were a little off base. He was hoping that Jesus would affirm him in his religious deeds. Good teacher. Have you ever had someone try to flatter you? Normally they don't want anything to do with you. Or they talk a certain way or a certain tone with you. But then all of a sudden when they want something, right? They start heaping a little bit of praise on you. Well, hey there, old buddy. How you doing? And you hadn't talked to him in 10 years, right? Or you pass them in Walmart or something and they act like they don't know you the last four or five times you've seen them. Then all of a sudden they need something from you. Well, hey there, old buddy. How you doing? Right? Went and talked to a, seen a vehicle we were looking at to maybe try to get Elizabeth something to get started in here in a year or so and uh, thought it was a, a nice vehicle to, to see how much the price would be. And never met this guy in my life. Car salesman, used car salesman. Never met him in my life, but man, I'm his good buddy, his best buddy. He called me all kind of buddy, and I never met him. And I'm sitting here thinking, buddy, you're trying a little bit too hard. I just want to know the price of your car, you know. But anyways, this was, <clears throat> this was a form of flattery. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Sounds, sounds innocent enough. But look what happens in verse 18. So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. You ever thought about that? That, that is a puzzling scripture to me all through my life. <clears throat> but actually this week, the Lord began to kind of show me what was going on here. And I has kind of been illuminated to me, and I want to share that with you. It's because Jesus knew this guy was trying to flatter me. Because Jesus had accepted praise from people previously. People called him the Messiah, and he didn't deny it. People called him good, and he didn't deny it. People called him the Son of the God, the Prophet of the Highest, the Prophet that was to come. All those things that people said were true, and Jesus accepted those things because their hearts were in the right place. But this guy's, like we said, his motive's a little off base and Jesus knows it. So he said, why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that's God in heaven. Jesus was a good teacher and had welcomed praise from other people. So why not this rich man? Jesus knew that in this man's heart something was lacking. So Jesus deflected this man's praise to God who's in heaven in order to make him aware of this flattery. Something we need to learn from that. And I don't think we have a problem with that here, but I, I know people personally who do have an issue with this. Jesus doesn't receive our attempt to flatter him when we're giving him praise. There are lots of people in this world in certain religious circles that they think the louder they are and the more flattery they talk that God receives their praise. But their motives are not right because they're wanting something in return. They're wanting to feel a goosebump. They're wanting to feel something that's uh, in response 
So they're flattery. <clears throat> so Jesus doesn't receive our attempt to flatter him. Our praise of Jesus must be out of a pure heart with the motive of honoring him in our hearts being the only reason. Lord, you're good. I honor you. Not doing that to try to get something in return. See, this guy comes saying, oh, good teacher. What must I do to receive in eternal life? Jesus knew what was in his heart. This means we praise Jesus wanting nothing in return. Like I said, all my life, Jesus' response to that, that question seemed a little off to me. Well, he is a good teacher. Why is he deflecting that away from himself toward God? It's because he's teaching this guy a lesson. He's trying to teach him. And he's not teaching him to be mean to him. He's, he's really trying to help this guy. We'll find that out in just a minute. So in verses 19 and 20, <clears throat> let's take a look at those. So Jesus tells him, no one is good but God. <clears throat> in verse 19 it says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. And honor your father and your mother. And he answered in verse 20 and said, And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. I've kept the Ten Commandments. And I've done the right thing toward people. And so this guy's probably feeling pretty good about himself at this time. Right? Hey, well, if that's what I have to do to inherit eternal life, hey. I'm on the right track. Religiously speaking, this rich man had it all covered. <clears throat> he was keeping the commandments of God and no doubt considered himself as blessed by God since he was rich. You know, a lot of people uh, meter or measure their standing with God about with their blessings, with their earthly possessions. They think, well, if I've got this, this, and this, and these people over here don't, that means God must like me more. Some people measure that that way. And no doubt, I'm sure he did. He'd been keeping all the commandments. He's rich and wealthy and he's a ruler of people. So, okay, pat me on the back. Doing good, right? But it's interesting that there was evidently still something missing in his life. If he truly thought keeping those commandments and being wealthy was what was going to get him to heaven, then why did he come to Jesus and say, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? There was still a hole, there was still a question in his mind somewhere. Otherwise, he wouldn't have asked that question, would he? <coughs> Excuse me. If he was content in all his religious works, then why does he ask, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You know, there's a lot of people that it looks like on the surface everything in their life's going good. And there's a lot of people who have gave, given testimony who were wealthy, who were famous, who were very prominent, but they were completely miserable. And they finally brought their way and found their way to Jesus. And the next thing you know, then the actual true happiness came. Amen. In verse 21, so what kind of answer do you think Jesus may give him? Well, I've kept all those things from my youth. And this guy was looking for Jesus to say, well, there you go. Here's your ticket. 
That's not what Jesus said, did he? Oh my, he makes it. Gives him something that's hard to take, I'm sure. Verse 21, Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. Oh my. I wonder how that set with him. We find out in a minute that he was very sorrowful about this. But that must have just took all the wind right out of his sails. Because he knew it was the truth. When you hear the truth, you know it. Whether you want to accept it or not, when you hear the truth, you know it. He went to Jesus looking for the truth because there was still something missing in his life. And when Jesus said, you've got to get rid of all your possessions, sell it all, get rid of it, take up the cross and follow me. He knew that was true, but we'll find out in a minute he wasn't willing to do that. One of the things I want to point out here, and it gets overlooked a lot, in verse 21, look what that says. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He wasn't mad at him. He wasn't angry with him. He looked at him and he loved him. Because this man had a genuine, legitimate question in his mind. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? By all standards, he was a good guy. He was keeping God's commandments. He was prominent in the society. He had wealth. He had riches. He was a ruler of people. So for all intents and purposes, this, is, this guy is the, one of the best candidates for heaven that we've ever seen. But then Jesus said, you've got to follow me and not worry about this worldly stuff. But Jesus loved him. He had a legitimate question. He had a longing in his soul to inherit eternal life. Jesus appreciated his honesty and loved this man. Jesus desired to give him the answer that he needed. And I just want to point out this morning that there are people who genuinely want to be saved. They genuinely want to be saved. Maybe, they're, maybe their motives are off as well. Maybe they're off base a little bit. But they do have a genuine desire to, what do I need to do to get saved? We need to love those people as well. Try our best to help them. Answer their questions. Amen? We need to appreciate their honest desire to come to Jesus. Amen? Jesus tells this rich man to sell everything he has and distribute the proceeds to the poor and then follow him. So why did Jesus tell the rich man this? Traditional Christian doctrine just says, believe in your heart, confess in your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. So why isn't that the answer that this guy got? Why didn't Jesus just look at him and say, well, believe that I'm the Christ, that I'm going to lay down my life for his sins, and you'll be saved? This seems to be the only place or the only person in the New Testament who was told to sell everything he owned and follow Jesus in order to receive eternal life. Jesus knows what's in our hearts. Most people are coming to Jesus because everything in their life is a mess. Think about that. 
Most people who come to Jesus, they don't have a whole lot of earthly possessions and they may have just lost something. They may have just went through a loss of a family member, a divorce or loss of a home, whatever, loss of a job. But everything in their life is turned to turmoil. And it's much easier for them to come to Jesus because those things don't matter to them anymore. They're just looking for an answer. But for those that puts their pride in their possessions and in all the success and the things that's going on in their life, those are the ones that Jesus will look at and say, you've got to get rid of all those things because you're too wrapped up in them. Amen. If the things we possess on earth are the things that define us, then Jesus will demand we get rid of them. There's a lot of people who have lots of earthly possessions, wealth and riches, and I don't mean like filthy rich. I'm talking about just maybe more than some other people. They start to really get themselves on a pedestal. They start to allow those things to define them. Well, you know, I'm the CEO of blah, 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 or, or I'm the head this and that and the other, and they get themselves lifted up on a pedestal, and that kind of becomes who they are. And if that's the kind of person someone is and they ask Jesus or ask you and I, what is it going to take for me to get saved? You're going to have to lose that attitude. And if it takes you quitting that job and getting a regular job, that may be what has to happen. The rich man, no doubt, worked hard as a ruler of people and had a lot of authority. However, he defined himself by the earthly possessions he had acquired. So Jesus, knowing this, told him, sell all that you have and follow me. Jesus knew that in this man's heart there was a stronger love for earthly possessions than for the kingdom of God. <coughs> First Timothy 6 and 9 says this, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. <clears throat> Jesus knew this. This rich man wanted God to be a part of his life, but Jesus told him that God and his kingdom must become his life. There's a difference. I can fit somebody or something else into my life, <clears throat> but that's not how we do Jesus. Too many people has the mentality, well, you know, I've lived my life so many years this way. I've got a lot of success. I've earned a lot of money. I've earned a lot of possessions. I've got a lot of people in my life. But you know, I think I should get saved. <coughs> and so their mentality is, okay, I want to get saved, so I just want to make Jesus a little part of my life so that, you know, I'll go to church every once in a while and I'll do the thing that I need to do, but... The rest of my life will be spent on me. It doesn't work that way, does it? That's the big difference in what people need to understand. There's people today who are also this way. They want Jesus to be a part of their lives, but not everything to them. They want to hold on to certain things and just fit Jesus into their lives somewhere. It doesn't work that way. Jesus has to become our life. We told the analogy the other uh, a couple weeks ago. If you were to go out here to Pizza Hut <clears throat> and order you a pizza, and they had the dough in the circle, and they put one little strip with the, all the sauce in one little strip, 
and all the cheese in one little strip and all the other toppings in another little strip, you wouldn't like that pizza too well, would you? <clears throat> because that wasn't a true, real pizza. All those toppings, all those things has to cover every inch of it. It's the same way with Jesus. He has to become our life. Not just one little slice, not one little piece, not one little topping. He has to become our life. If it's money or earthly possessions that rule our lives, then Jesus will help us, will tell us to give it up. He told this guy, sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and then take up the cross and follow me. Jesus will not play second fiddle to anything in our life. Amen. He has to be our life. If it's relationships with people that pull us away from God, then we need to give up those relationships. I know people right now who they're tied up in relationships with people and thinking about getting married and maybe have just gotten married or whatever, and they're not good for each other. One wants to serve God and one doesn't. How do you think that's going to end? That's going to be nothing but a nightmare. So if that's the case, let it go and say, Lord, I want you to be the center of my life and my universe. Amen. If it's drugs and alcohol, lay them down. People just look at it as saying, well, the Bible says we can't do this, can't do that, so no, not do it. Okay, yeah, it tells us those things. But those things will take over our life. And if we want to come to Jesus and inherit eternal life, those things don't need to be a part of our life because we give them control over our bodies. Let them go. Man, if there's something in our life that's pulling us away from Jesus, let it go. We can make a list of hypothetical things, but only you know that. Only the people that hear my voice later today on the podcast. <clears throat> only they know if there's something in their life pulling them away from Jesus. If something's pulling you away from Jesus and away from the kingdom of God, let it go. Pray right this moment and ask God, Lord, how do I let this go out of my life? I've got to, I, I want you to be first. Amen. Verse 22. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Well, that was a sad occasion, wasn't it? That was sad for the man, and I'm sure that that was sad for Jesus, because it said he loved him. The rich man was sorrowful because he was hoping Jesus would affirm him to receive eternal life because he was religious and successful. <clears throat> when it didn't go, when this wasn't the case, he went away in sorrow because he was not willing to depart to part with his possession. People will say, "Well, you mean if I go be a Christian, I got to give up?" Blah blah blah. If that's more important to you than God, yes, you will. Might as well just be honest about it. Amen. I had a friend one time that came to the Lord and had talked with him for months and months and months and his life was a mess and talked to him about coming to the Lord and getting his salvation secure and, and getting things lined out in his life. 
And one of the things he told me was that he was afraid that if he come to Christian, he might not be able to do his uh, catfishing on Saturday night because he'd be too tired to come to church on Sunday. He told me that with his mouth. And I said, if you get saved and turn your life over to Jesus, catfishing is going to be the least of the thing on your mind. You will modify your life. And if it means I can't catfish till 3 in the morning on Saturday night to make sure I can make it to church on Sunday, then I'll gladly let go of the catfishing. You see what I'm saying? It's amazing how the, the, the human mind and the devil messing with that mind will mess people up. <clears throat> so if there's something in my life that's preventing me from accepting Jesus, preventing me from fully following Him, yes, the Lord will ask us to get rid of it. Let it go. This guy wasn't willing to part with his possessions. In Mark chapter 8, I'll read you a couple of verses. Jesus said, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So many people that I heard growing up and things, they thought that meant, oh, well, that means to, to fast all the time and read a lot of Bible and make yourself real religious. No, it had nothing to do with those things. It's talking about denying ourselves the worldly pleasures, the earthly desires, and the earthly riches, just like this guy. For whosoever desires to save his life, meaning the life he now lives, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? One of the things that uh, I experienced a few years back was I knew I was at 12 years old. I knew I was called to preach. I've still got the little Bible that my grandmother got me where I'd underline stuff at nighttime reading it and <clears throat> on and on. But I did my thing when I was a teenager. I wanted God to be a part of my life. I went to church on Sundays, went to revivals every once in a while, read my Bible every once in a while. So Jesus was a part of my life, but he wasn't my life. I know from experience what that's like. When I turned 22, he became a part, he not only became a part of my life, he became my life. And I noticed the difference. Amen. So, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? I had worked and had jobs and was good at what I did and was being sought by other places that did similar things. And Worked in a machine shop for several years. Something was off. I felt like the Lord was calling me to something different. So I began to seek the Lord and say, Lord, I want more time to spend for you and your kingdom to help people. So I, I'm just not going to be able to keep working this job like this. And that's when the Lord guided me to get a job as a school bus driver. Less pay. First couple, three years was not even guaranteed paycheck. You just sit by the phone and wait and see if somebody needs a driver. But I laid down my life, and I'm not doing this to boast. I'm just doing this to show you this is sometimes what it takes. I laid that down. And my family struggled from that point on, and still even to this day sometimes struggles financially because of that decision, having to run out here and run and chase mowing grass and selling firewood and that kind of stuff. But I gladly do it. I don't begrudge, I'm not begrudging of that because it's what the Lord wants me to do. Now, it may not be exactly your situation, but I don't, I don't want me, me to be defined 
in my possessions, in my job, in my income, and in all those things. I want me to be defined as a Christian who loves Jesus. Amen. And then in verses 23 to 27, as we'll finish up with these verses. <clears throat> After he'd walk, walked away and went away sorrowful, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but with God, but, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Jesus explained how difficult it is for people who trust in earthly riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's like a camel trying to go through the eye of a needle. Now some theologians describe the needle that was being re referenced here as a small hole in the city wall somewhere. You know those old ancient cities had a, big, had a big wall that protected them and they only had a handful of gates that would allow people in and out. <clears throat> that was for protection. Every once in a while, there'd be one, a little hole that would be found called the needle. It'd be called threading the needle. Got to go through that one little secret passage. And that little needle was, cut, was a place not even as big as our doorways. It was real short. A person would have to stoop over to walk through this little tiny place. And the allegory here that Jesus is describing in a lot of theologians' mind, and, and it fits really well. I'll share it with you. The needle was a small hole in the wall of that city that allowed access without having to go through the main gate. The hole was usually barely big enough for a person to fit through. And when bringing a camel loaded down with goods, see camels were used in those days, they packed, it was like a, a pack mule. They put all their possessions, all their stuff, and they traveled. So it was barely big enough to fit a person through. And when bringing a camel loaded down with goods, the camel would have to be unloaded get down on its belly, and then coerced through that narrow opening. Now, you ever fooled with an animal that's bigger than you? There's not a whole lot of coercion you can do if it makes up its mind it's not going. I've been around cattle all my life, and if you got in a good cow, and she's gentle, and she likes grain, or she likes you, you can lead her wherever you want her to go. But if she makes up her mind she's not going to go somewhere, you got a fight on your hand. Now you imagine taking a camel, having to unload it, get down on its belly and its knees and wiggle and squirm and fit through a hole about half the size of that door. That's why Jesus said it's so hard. It's easier for that to happen than for a rich person to enter into heaven. The meaning of Jesus using this example vividly demonstrates how a rich man with his earthly possessions would rarely be able to make it to heaven because he won't give up his riches. And in verses 24 and 26, I wanted to point out this and note, uh, for you to notice this. Look in verse 24. It says, And the disciples were astonished at his words. Then again in verse 26, after he repeated it, And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, 
Who then can be saved? Those of us who live day to day, what we call paycheck to paycheck, sometimes think that wealthy people have it all together. The disciples thought that about this guy. They looked at this guy and thought, man, he's keeping the commandments. He's respectful of Jesus. He come and bowed himself down and on and on and on. He's, he's, he's successful. This guy should be at the front of the line to go to heaven, right? So that's why they were astonished. Many times we even fantasize about what it would be like to be rich. Have you ever done that? You start seeing those commercials of a 400 and some million dollar Powerball ticket and you start thinking, man, I don't believe in gambling, but it might be worth a dollar or two. Man, you win that kind of money, all your problems would go away. That's what your mind thinks, isn't it? It is. I'd pay off the house and I'd do this and I'd pay off my family and, I, and we'd travel. and we, You know, your mind just goes there. That if I had all this wealth and riches, that everything would be fine. So that's why it says they were astonished the first time Jesus said it. And then when he repeated it, that it's hard for a rich person to make it to heaven. They were greatly astonished and said, well, then who can make it to heaven? Is there hope for anybody? This is why they were astonished. In their minds, a wealthy, religious, and humble man would be at the front of the line to get into heaven. But what was it Jesus told him? You lack one thing. He didn't didn't condemn him for all those things that he was doing right and keeping the commandments. He said, there's one more thing on your list that you need to do. And that's get rid of all your earthly possessions that define you. Take up the cross. Follow me. Hallelujah. When it said, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them in verse 27. They were thinking, well, look, if the rich, if the rich, humble, religious guy who's got it all together, if it's hard for him to get to heaven, who can then be saved? Look what Jesus said in verse 27. This is one of the probably the most quoted promises in the Bible that I hear Christians saying, and they don't even realize the context of when it was spoken. It was spoken about saying that a rich person could get saved. That it's not impossible. It's hard for a rich person to get saved and give up all their earthly possession. That's a rare thing, but it's not an impossible thing. Though it seems impossible, Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Though it seems impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, it's not impossible. We must remember this when forming opinions about people who we consider rich. You know who we consider rich? Somebody doing better than us. Think about that. You know, if you're homeless on the street, don't have a job, this, that, and the other, somebody working at McDonald's, you think, man, man, if I could just do that, life would be better. Then maybe you have a middle-class job and you look at somebody that's in the white-collar sector and you think, man, they got a lot of money. So a lot of times riches is in the eye of the beholder. 
So we have to remember that when we form opinions about people that we consider rich, we think, well, they're too wrapped up this and this and that. They'd never get saved, and we sometimes won't even share the gospel with them. We have to be careful about that. They aren't all evil, though. <clears throat> Some of them are devout Christians who use their wealth to further the kingdom of God and provide vast amounts of help and employment to the poor and needy or for other people. Not every rich person is wicked and greedy. Sometimes it's just something that maybe they were born into a family that already had wealth and they took it to another level, whatever the case may be. So just simply being rich does not nullify a person's opportunity and ability to make it to heaven. It's how they view those riches. And that's no different for you and I. Amen? Amen. So I'd ask you today as we get ready to close, the Lord is challenging us today, each person, me included, are you willing to take up the cross and follow Jesus? But Rick, I already got saved. I, I got saved when I was a kid. I've done this, that, and the other. I, 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 I. Are we willing to, to today take up the cross and follow Jesus wherever he may lead? Amen? Is everything in your life secondary to Jesus? If we're too busy for Jesus, then we're too busy. And something needs to be trimmed out of our life, doesn't it? To make sure we have room to let Jesus be the center of our life. Do we serve God through religious practices in order to get more? And this can only be answered by each person as an individual. I can't look at you and know what's in your heart. The Lord knows that. But that person can be answered... That question can be answered by each person individually. Are you willing to take up the cross and follow Jesus? Is everything in your life secondary to Him? The Holy Spirit will reveal to you the truth of what's in each person's heart. And in a closing statement, may we look to Jesus as our all in all. Amen. May Jesus be more important to us than anything else. And let us not trust in riches or earthly possessions to get us to heaven. But let us trust in Jesus and Him alone. And may we make Jesus our entire life and not merely a part of it. Amen. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father, we come to you today as we close this message. Lord, you have challenged us. Hallelujah. And we thank you for that challenge. Lord, you affirm us and you encourage us and you <clears throat> lead us by the hand in so many ways and so many fashions. But today, Lord, you have challenged us. Will we take up the cross and follow you? Oh, Father, may we finish this race you've set before us. It's not enough for us to just have been to an altar of prayer and gotten saved. You want us to follow you. Live our life the way that you asked us to live. We want you, Lord, today. We, uh, we admit it today and we cry out to you today that we want you to become our life and not just a part of it. Lord Jesus, I pray this for each and every one of us here today and who will hear this voice of you today. Lord, this is your word 
This is your voice. Hallelujah. Lord, may Jesus become our life. May we live our life for Jesus and Him alone. May the things that we put our so much time and effort and energy into become secondary in our life. And let us serve Jesus with a heart of joy and be interested in the things of the kingdom of God. Lord, we have mentioned it before. Our world is, looks like it's gone to hell. There's nothing good going on right now, hardly. Lots of negative things, but that's when the light should shine the brightest. Help us, Lord, to not get wrapped up in all those things and what's wrong, but to start to show people who it is that is right, and that is Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, leading us day by day by day by day by day. Hallelujah. Father, I pray for each and every person. Lord, if there's been conviction brought in our lives today and into our hearts because of this, there's maybe something in our life we need to let go. Lord, help us to just cut it loose and never look back again. Help us, Lord, not to be like this rich ruler who went away sorrowful because he was not willing to give up his possessions and the things that made him who he was. Help us, Lord, to be defined as Christians who love Jesus Christ and follow Him and obey Him, not only at church, but in all forms and fashions of our life, in all areas of our life, Lord. Let You be our leader and our guide. Father, I pray that You keep each and every person safe until the next appointed time we meet. I pray, God, that this message will sink down in every heart and in every mind and we'll ponder upon these things and we'll listen to the Holy Spirit as He convicts us of things that we need to let go in our life. We ask all these things today. May you continue to bless your children and lead us in all ways of truth and righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.